Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I'm Pastor Erwin Raphael McManus and just wanted to thank you for listening. In case you didn't know, I just released a new book. It's called The Genius of Jesus, The Man Who Changed Everything. And you can order it today at thegeniusofjesus.com. We have been on a three-month journey together as we've traveled through this series, Uprising. The challenge at the beginning was to believe that the greatest revolution that can possibly take place on this planet is the one that happens within us. That freedom always begins from within. That if we want to see our lives reflective of our dreams, then we have to have the character to build that life on. We began one simple declaration that the shape of your character is the shape of your future. But over these past three months, we've discovered more. We've discovered not only is the shape of our character the shape of our future, but we've seen that the shape of our character is the shape of the world's future. That when we allow God to transform us, to change us from the inside out, it is the beginning of the creation of a future worth living. You cannot create a world that you do not reflect. And whether it is art or life, everything you touch, everything you mold, everything you create will be an expression of your character. In the most beautiful way, this is the way all of us can live our most heroic lives. If you've been at Mosaic long enough, you know that that's a recurring theme here that there's a hero inside of you waiting to be awakened. That the movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago began with the greatest hero of all, Jesus Christ. But he went beyond that to call us all to live our most heroic lives. And if you are going to follow Christ and emulate him and reflect him, you are called to nothing less than to your most heroic life, to be your most heroic self. Now, after almost 30 years of marriage, I can tell you Kim has heard this theme far too much. And she's like, do you always have to talk about the hero inside of us? Do you always have to talk about how we're called to live heroic lives? And the answer is yes. And if you think it's been bad the first 30 years, watch the next 30 years. (laughs) And she's just so tired of all the movies about superheroes, but it doesn't matter to me. There just aren't enough of them. I mean, you might have grown up with the book of Genesis and the book of Romans, but I grew up with Marvel and DC. And while you may have been inspired by David and Moses, I was inspired by Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne. And it's, to me, no incidental thing that all the great characters of every great story is what would be described in the world of literature a Christ figure, an individual who makes a decision to lay their own lives down for the sake of others. And so it's a perfect day to be celebrating this heroism. But one day Kim came to me, we can't all be Superman. We can't all be Batman or the X-Man or whatever other hero you're focused on today. What about the rest of us? What about the ordinary human being? Well, by the way, you should vacate that space. 
If today you are the ordinary human being, give that up to someone else who wants less. And you take the space of the extraordinary human being who must live for more. See, every one of us will have choices to make every single day of our lives. And the choices we make will either steal from us our humanity or redeem it and restore it. We will either find ourselves needing a hero or being the hero that others need. And so several years ago when I took my first shot at writing and directing a short film, I took a moment in our real life, a moment where heroism was brought to its most common level in everyday occurrence. And what I found incidentally was as I wrote a story around a real moment, all the moments I made up felt more real after we filmed than the moment that actually happened. And in fact, the moment that actually happened, all the feedback was no one would have possibly done that, but that's what they did. No one would have said that, but that's exactly what they said. <laughs> this is the funny thing about life. When we live our lives apathetically, it's almost unimaginable how callous we can become. And when we live our lives heroically, it's surprising the lives we live. Left unchecked, the human heart can become incredibly indifferent and cold and callous. And it doesn't take leaping over tall buildings in a single bound or stopping a speeding locomotive or being able to ward off bullets with your chest. It doesn't take a radioactive spider changing your life. It just takes small choices every day to rise above apathy and indifference and mediocrity and to choose honor and courage and compassion. I was always struck by the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That I think this particular perspective opens up a huge part of the human dilemma. So oftentimes, we think we're free, but actually we're slaves. So often we think that we're being unique, but we're actually simply being the same. We're expressing our creativity, but strangely enough, we look just like everyone else. And instead of being creative, we actually have conformed and become compliant to the lowest measure of what it means to be human. Let me, let me take a, a brief survey and, and a meaningless one. Right, if you're here in this room tonight, and I need everyone to be honest just for a few moments, and you've ever told a lie. All right, that means that you did not tell the truth, in case you're not sure what that means, all right? It means you consciously deceived and withheld the information that would cause you harm or punishment. If you've ever told a lie, I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. Okay, look around. Okay, this is the condition of mosaic. All right, we have a community full of liars, and now if you didn't raise your hand, would you just raise it right now? And because not only are you a liar, but you're the most recent liar in the room. <laughs> you see, when we lie, we are not unique. We have conformed to the pattern of this world rather than been transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
I was reflecting this, and I, and I thought, my, my little dog, Thatcher, she, if allowed, will go and poop in the backyard. But she will never lie to me. <laughs> Humans can actually dehumanize themselves. See, a lion may be savage when it kills the gazelle, but it will never be dishonest about its intention. But humans are. Well, let's take the survey just a little further and a little deeper. If you have ever stolen anything, again, that means if you've ever taken something that did not belong to you. Like when you were a small child and your mom said, don't touch the cookies. And you did. Or when you stole your best friend's girlfriend. That's also called stealing. <laughs> or when you cheated on your taxes or took the towels from the hotel. <laughs> or showed up late for a meeting and you stole the minutes of the people waiting for you. Oh. <laughs> so if you've ever stolen anything, I want you to raise your hand right now. Look around, hold them up, hold them up high. We have a room full of liars and thieves. I just want to be clear. I hope you're using your other hand to hold your wallet because it's going to get bad around here. They will steal it and then later tell you they didn't do it. Right. We could go further. How deep do you want to explore? Have you ever had a thought, oh, I just wish he was dead? Don't raise your hand. When we choose our lesser self, we become conformists. The irony of the Ten Commandments is that they are the path to freedom. They are not the path to conformity. You want to be like seven billion people on the planet? Steal, lie, commit adultery. Steal someone's wife, steal someone's goat. <laughs> We're very creative in being the same. You want to be unique in this world? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what's rare in this world? Love. Hate is common. You want to be rare in this world? Choose to forgive. Bitterness just makes you common. You want to be unique in this world? Be a person of integrity and truth. Deception and lies, they are not a rare commodity, but the common material of human activity. Jesus was rare, unique. To live a life of such compassion to be a person of such strength and honor, to be a person who would not allow bitterness to define him, but chose to forgive a humanity that betrayed him. Jesus is the most unique human who ever walked this earth. And when he invites us to be like him, he invites us into our own uniqueness. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. I wonder how many of us here have bought into the lie that just being free makes you unique, not the choices you make in that freedom. And then there's this other verse that inspired the whole journey of uprising. It's Psalm 119, 32, that says, 
I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Such a conflicting reality, commands and freedom, usually they seem to be mutually exclusive, don't they? Isn't that why we run from God? Because God is the one who's going to steal from us our freedom. Hasn't that been, in many ways, the weight of religion, that religion has demanded our conformity and standardization, using guilt and shame to control and manipulate us? But that is not the way of Jesus. Jesus has come to liberate us, to free us, to destroy the shackles that would conform us and standardize us so that we might discover and live out our divine right to be a unique human, created in the image and likeness of God, expressing his beauty and his wonder. Eventually, you're going to get sick and tired of being someone less than who you were created to be. Don't be yourself. Be who you were created to become. Be your best self. Don't be satisfied with who you are. Be hungry for who you should and must be. For the world's freedom. The world's freedom is held captive in the human heart. If we would choose to be the persons that God created us to be, the world would be free today. The shape of your character is the shape of your future, but more than that, the shape of our character is the shape of humanity's future. And it's time we take responsibility for the future that we keep creating outside of the mind of God. There are a few questions that have been passed on to me, so I thought I would finish with a little Q&A. Let's see how this goes. Gratitude is my biggest struggle. I struggle with feelings of entitlement. Do you have any practical suggestions on how to, make, how to move toward gratitude? Well, the great news is your awareness that gratitude is your biggest struggle is a huge step forward. Because self-awareness is the first major step toward transformation. I struggle with feelings of entitlement. That's probably because you were treated as if you were special. And you are special. But the moment you think you're more special than everybody else, it becomes a problem. So here's some practical suggestions. Serve. Find people that you think are not as important as you and serve them. Find people who you feel that are beneath you and get beneath them. It'll change your life. And then take time every day to acknowledge how people have served you and made your life better. Expressing thanks, expressing gratitude, taking time to say thank you will make a huge difference in your life. How does one strike the balance between waiting on God patiently and bolding taking steps of faith now that I am inspired to be a better man of character? Be patient for everything you want God to do for you. And be impatient about everything God wants you to do for him. So move fast whenever you know it's your responsibility. And 
Wait a lifetime for everything you hope God does for you. So let me give you a practical example. God, I want a girlfriend. <laughs> All right? Be patient. Don't just take any girl. <laughs> or I want a boyfriend. God, I want to get married. Don't just marry anyone. All right? Be patient. Wait. You'll be sorry if you're impatient. But be fast in becoming the kind of person that someone else needs in their life. So be fast with your character and slow with your expectations. And that way you can be fast and slow at the same time. <laughs> How do you keep from being discouraged when your new self steps up to deal with the consequence of your old self and it becomes difficult mainly dealing with the shame when you know that you have turned over a new leaf. Yeah. Yeah, this is the part that sucks. Uh, okay, and uh, all right, just because you're different doesn't mean your past is no longer your past. Wouldn't it be great if the moment you sincerely change, your past no longer existed? It does. All right. Your past is like a tidal wave, and you're like a beginning surfer walking toward the beach. The reality is the choices you made yesterday are your responsibility today. So don't get mad at God because he doesn't wipe the slate clean. Because that challenge is what is necessary to make you the new you. So this isn't sort of, oh, I've got to deal with the stuff in my past so I can move on and become my new self. No, like, for instance, if you've sort of been a jerk with every girl you've ever dated, and now they're all talking to each other, <laughs> and to every girl you want to date, but you're like, but I've changed. And I believe you. I'm not even questioning that you've changed. But you're going to have to change a lot for a long time before all of that human damage that you left behind tells a different story about you. Because, you see, they're doing the right thing. They're protecting the future victim from you. <laughs> Forgiveness and trust are different things. You have to forgive right away. Trust has to be earned. And so if this is the new you, then go, all right, I'm just going to step into the crisis of my old self. I, I caused this problem, I created this reputation, I did this damage, and now the way that God is going to give me a new reputation and transform my character is by dealing with my past so that people can see it's my past and not my future. So go back and ask for forgiveness. Go back and acknowledge that you messed up. Go back and dive into the rubble of your damage. Accept responsibility, but don't live there and move on. I'm beginning to lose my joy and passion for Christ and my salvation. I don't know what to do, what should I do? Hang around awesome people. Look, I, I don't know what it is about us, but... <laughs> <laughs> you, you find joy and strength and meaning when you're in a community of joy and strength and meaning. And then once you have it, you don't think you need them anymore. Oh, great, we are not a gas station. 
Right? Or you come in, oh, I'm empty. You, know, you, you fill back up and you go back out there. See, that, that's what is called stupid. Humans are not the extraneous commodity. You need humans in your life. When God created Adam, put him in a perfect condition in paradise, it says God said it was not good for man to be alone. If it wasn't good for man to be alone in the garden, if it wasn't good for man to be alone in paradise, if it wasn't good for man to be alone when he had God, if it wasn't good for man to be alone before the fall, how in the world would you think it's good for you to be alone now? When you start losing your joy, get around people who have joy. And now don't bring the whole room down. Uh, <laughs> then we have 10 more people looking for people with joy. Get around people with passion. Have you ever noticed that when you're around passionate people, you become more passionate? When, you become, when you're around hopeful people, you become more hopeful. I can tell you that you will drift away from the people who you need to elevate you. So get around people and you go, yeah, but they don't want to be around me. It's because you don't have any joy. <laughs> and so the best way is to sneak in by serving. <laughs> All right? There are people who show up here at three in the afternoon and they're actually happy. I don't understand, but they're happy. And they show up in the morning, like at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, get ready, and they're the happiest people here. And they're sharing community together. You're avoiding the wrong things. So you go to clubs with a lot of miserable, lonely people, and you wonder why you're so miserable and lonely. <laughs> and it, you're only confused when you're drunk. <laughs> when you're sober, you remember how miserable and lonely you are. Okay, next question. Is it okay to talk with the opposite sex before and after church? <laughs> we may have changed our policy, okay? But women are supposed to come in through those doors and men are supposed to come in through those doors, all right? It goes on. I won't answer it yet. I'm going to leave you suspenseful. All right. I feel like the best place to meet a devoted Christian is in church. Why would you think that? And, uh, and I feel like most of the time my intentions are pure, but sometimes. <laughs> I have a hard time distinguishing between curiosity and lust. I don't think you do. If you're not sure if it's curiosity or lust, it's lust. Okay, that way, okay. See how easy it is? All right, if you're going, I don't know, it is. Okay. How do I proceed when I find myself in one of those phases? It sounds like you are in one of those phases. And... All right. I'm just so glad you didn't sign your name. <laughs> but you speak for so many people here, right? Come on, let's be honest. All right. 
The best place to meet someone who loves God is probably in a place where people love God. So I'm glad you're here. And no one in the, on the planet who is attracted to the opposite sex isn't going to be attracted to the opposite sex. So don't go, oh no, I'm attracted to her. Gotta stay away. See, that is, again, stupid. <laughs> but what you don't want to do is be a stalker. <laughs> if she talks to you, that's a good sign. If you say hello, she says hello, but never turns her head and keeps walking, that's a clue, okay? <laughs> again, the best way, you see, if you're here and you're trying to meet people and you're trying to build relationships and, you know, find that right person. This is not Christian Mingle, by the way, okay, <laughs> anything like that. The best way to do that is by serving. I'm telling you, there's nothing more awesome to a woman than a guy who's actually doing something meaningful and good in the world, right? And just make sure that you come in here and move lumber, so they go, ooh, wow. He loves God and he has a washboard. And, uh, all right. So, look, we live in a world of mixed motives. Just try to be honest with yourself. Try to be friends. And you want to marry somebody that you're friends with. You want to date someone that you actually like. All right. I, I know a lot of times it's, it's not like mystical, you're attracted to someone's face and you're attracted to their beauty or their attractiveness. But if you leave it there, you're what is called a superficial human being. So you have to find people that you enjoy life with. The only way you can know that is by doing life together. And so that's why I encourage you, find a small group, start serving, get involved. And uh, I mean, yesterday I stopped in on the Habitat for Humanity, Power Women, Power Tools with Power Women, and there were like hundreds of women there, and about eight guys. I'm thinking, this is where guys should be. <laughs> okay, can you be wise, but still choose to make bad decisions? Does it matter? All right, because in the end, if you choose to make bad decisions, you're still an idiot. Uh, all right, you're still a fool. And I know that may not be kind, but I would rather be unkind for a moment and help you not destroy yourself. So the question is, why would you make a bad decision when you know it's a bad decision? In the end, real wisdom is about choosing the good and the beautiful and the true. And that's really the measure of real wisdom. How can you be faithful and persevere when you're, when you're overcommitted? When every way you turn, you fail someone or some commitment. How do you discern when God wants you to push through or do everyone a favor and bow out? All right, you're probably a person who has a problem with being overly responsible, not underly, uh, under-responsible. See, you're probably a person who feels as if you have to say yes to everyone. And here's the dilemma. If you don't have intention for your life, other people will impose their intention on your life. If you do not have a big yes, everybody's yes becomes your yes. 
Now, the scriptures do say that if you make a commitment and you realize you've made it poorly, go to that person and beg to get out. So if you're overcommitted, you need to sit down and go, which, are, which of these commitments are the ones that I should have said yes to? And then go to the people that you made commitments to and say, I, I know I made this commitment, but I, I made a mistake. I made the wrong commitment. You say, I was stupid. You know, but now I'm trying to learn how to be wise. And good people will help you get out of bad commitments. But it also says that you need to keep your word even to your own hurt. If someone says, oh, you gave your word and you're going to hurt too many people, if you back out, you hang in there and you get it done. And you do it to the best of your ability no matter what. Because really we need to return to an era where our word is our bond. And your yes is yes and your no is no. And if your yes is yes, you will say yes less. See, if you know that you break commitments, you'll say yes because it doesn't matter. You'll break it later. But if you hold yourself to your yes, here's a great line. Can I pray about it? And you know what's even more powerful? Is if you actually pray about it. <laughs> All right. And if you'll take time and reflect and take some time with God and consider the decision, you will make less commitments that you should have not made. But I am so grateful to everyone here who overcommits and cares about those commitments. I, I think you have good motivation, just maybe bad judgment. So work on the judgment. If we are the sum of our choices, how do we deal with choices imposed on us that result in psychological and health? I thought this was a good question. Depression, negative coping, etc. How do we have an uprising when we've been abused, when we were abused very young? And here's the reality. You are not the sum total of your choices. You are a sum total of all the choices that have affected your life. And some of you were affected by painfully destructive choices by other human beings. Some of you were the victims of abuse, of neglect. Some of you are broken and shattered because someone made a choice to damage you, to hurt you, to violate you, to use you, to abuse you. But eventually, you have to take power over those choices with your choices. See, the way to be free from all the destructive choices others imposed on you is by making constructive choices for yourself. That's why forgiveness is so important. I know it's hard to forgive a person who's hurt you. It's even harder to forgive them when they didn't ask for forgiveness. It's harder to forgive them when they didn't deserve forgiveness. It's harder to forgive them when they never acknowledged their violation. But you need to forgive them not because they deserve it, but because you deserve to be free. Until you forgive and release the bitterness, you will still be controlled by their choices. The only way to take mastery over your life is to make choices that neutralize their choices and put their choices in your past. And by the way, if you're the sum total of all the choices made that affect your life, here's the great news. God has chosen you. God chooses to heal you. God chooses to free you. God chooses to forgive you. God chooses to give you a future and a hope. So whose choices do you want affecting your life? 
the people who have damaged you or the God who will heal you. I like to think I live a, spiritual, a life of spiritual health, but when I'm tired, overworked, my emotions get the best of me, and I'm anything but happy. My uprising is blocked by emotions overpowering my perseverance, and I beat myself up internally. Well, by the way, welcome to humanity. All right? I think sometimes we think we're always supposed to be up. We're always supposed to be happy. We're always supposed to be joyful. But you see, if you're always happy, you would be monotone. Have you been around people who are really happy all the time? I mean, they freak me out. And uh, people are always up, man, it's really good. It's good to see you. Yeah, man, like, life, life is great. Yeah, it's great. And I'm like, is that drug-induced? Or, or, uh... See, if you yell all the time, that's just monotone. Your life is supposed to have contrast. And you're a human being, and so because of that, you are a physical being. And when your body's tired, you're going to feel overwhelmed. Have you ever noticed that you make your worst decisions late at night? Your most immoral ones? Come on, let's be honest. You would do things at 2 in the morning that you would have never done in 2 in the afternoon. That's the what-was-I-thinking time of the day. The more tired you are, the more vulnerable you are to bad decision-making. But you need to realize that you're a human being, so when you're exhausted and overwhelmed, of course your emotions are going to get the best of you. And that's why you need to take care of your soul. That's why you need to have moments of replenishment and refreshment and healing. Take time to enjoy your life. And anyone who thinks that God is not for your enjoyment of life doesn't understand God. So take time to reflect, to enjoy a sunrise or a sunset, to play tennis or basketball with friends or enjoy great films or great food. Take time to laugh with friends and share great stories and, and take time to renew and restore your soul. And by the way, when you're blocked by emotions and then you beat yourself up, you're, you're beating a good man while he's down. Stop beating yourself up when you're down. Just realize I'm down. I, I, I know exactly what that feels like. There are times I just feel exhausted. Times I feel overwhelmed with joy and I feel kind of depressed at the same time. You ever feel that? Like, how can I feel both of these emotions on the same day, at the same moment? I go, oh, that's right, because I'm human. So give yourself time to heal, to be strengthened, to be encouraged. At work and in relationships, I don't feel like people know my gratitude because I am such a chill person. <laughs> what it says, I'm just reading it, okay? Which is often confused with apathy. How do I show my gratitude for my blessings without it feeling cheesy or forced? Well, LA is filled with chill people. And I imagine it's easy to confuse it with apathy, especially if it is. Gratitude never comes across cheesy. Have you ever had someone come up to you and authentically and genuinely thank you, and you go, wow, that was weird? <laughs> like, wow, that was really cheesy. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. All right? No. When someone comes and thanks you, you're just overwhelmed. And if it's a really chill person like who you thought was apathetic, 
and they come up and say, man, thank you so much for working so hard on my behalf, you're overwhelmed. If you're chill, you have a huge advantage. All right? They're like, wow, the chill guy came. <laughs> he walked across the room, I'm telling you. He brought me flowers, whatever it is. And uh, so take time and express gratitude. Gratitude has to be given for it to be real, for it to be authentic, and for it to be transformative. You need to express gratitude, and people need you to express it. You once said, I hate when things start with that. Because just because I said it doesn't mean I still hold to it. All right, but you once said that faith meets us in the moment and that faithfulness meets us in the future. I did say that. I still say that. And um, does maintaining our faith always reward us in the future? Depends what your faith is in. See, if your faith is in God, your faith will always be rewarded in the future. If your faith is in you, it may be rewarded, it may not. If your faith is in your talent, your faith might be rewarded, it might not. If your faith is in the economy, it might get rewarded, it might not. Because everything else is volatile and inconsistent. But if you put your faith in God, which by the way, the word faith should be translated trust. If you put your trust in God, it will always be rewarded in the future. In fact, the scriptures say that whoever trusts in the Lord will not be disappointed. Now, if you're saying, God, give me this job, and God says no, or he doesn't answer at all, and so you're assuming silence is a yes, you might be disappointed, but that's your disappointment in what you want, not in who God is. So don't put your trust in what you want God to give you. Put your trust in who God is and who he will make you to become as a human being. All right, one or two more questions, and then we'll stop. Oh, here's a two-parter. Question number one, I have questions about dating and living with my girlfriend without being married. See, I don't understand how you can still have questions about that, <laughs> unless you're new to Mosaic. I think this is, this is my dilemma here. We, we don't like moralizing here. We, we certainly don't want to tell you what to do. But how many times do I have to sort of find a, a, a way to say, when you're having sex outside of marriage, you're going against how God designed you and what God wants for you? Communication is such a complicated thing. See, what I've learned over years is that whenever I say something you agree with, you understand me right away. And when I say something you don't agree with, it's very complex. I'm not sure what he means by that. All right, so I'm just going to try to say this. Sex outside of marriage is wrong if you're a follower of Christ. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life if you're not a follower of Christ. But I'm telling you, I never want to tell you what to do. But I do want to be honest with you what it will do to you. See, I'm still stunned that we don't connect the dots when a 13-year-old girl is sexually active, why she's emotionally traumatized by the age of 15. See, I don't understand what, why we can't connect the dots when a guy is sleeping around when he's 16, why he's a jerk at 26. Because we start dehumanizing each other 
and ourselves. So I'd love for us just to go, let's be honest with each other. Look, if you, if you want to live together and sleep around, just go. This is what I want to do. But quick, acting like I'm not really sure what the Bible says about that. I'm not really sure how God feels about that. I'm not really sure what the scriptures say. Just say, yeah, I get it. But we're still choosing this. What I think is really funny is the second question is questions about taxes. <laughs> and I think it's funny the way it starts. I know it might be obvious. No, the first one is obvious, okay? <laughs> I know it might be obvious, but I'm more looking for confirmation. Confirmation for what about your taxes? Okay, here's a confirmation. If you don't pay your taxes, you will go to prison, all right? That's the confirmation, all right? I just want to be clear about that, all right? Do you have to pay your taxes? No. Just like you don't have to be morally pure. You can make all the wrong choices you want, but you don't get to choose the consequence of those choices. Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Now, do I like taxes? No. Do I like giving 50% of my hard-earned money to a government that will misuse it? No. Do I want to go to prison? No. (laughs) I see taxes as my freedom tax. So back to the more obvious one about dating. Look, can I just take a moment here? I've been married almost 30 years to my amazing wife, Kim. She's awesome. And she's very uncomfortable when we talk about things like this publicly, but I'm just going to go ahead and say this. You see, I don't know if this is going to be shocking to some of you, but when you're married, you talk more than you have sex. I'm not saying I'm for that. I'm just saying (laughs) that you just do, all right? You you talk more than you have sex, even if you're trying to make it about even. It just isn't going to happen. It's disproportionate, 90-10. In fact, I can tell you, the longer you're married, if you don't talk, you don't get sex, all right? It just doesn't happen. Okay? All right. So I, I just know, I just, it's, we got to have this conversation clearly from this question, okay? So here's the problem. Your marriage isn't going to work if you marry someone that you're just having sex with and never learn how to have a conversation. See, if I could just cut to the bare bone of this, the reason your boyfriend always wants to have sex is because he thinks you're boring. All right, because you see, you you think I'm wrong. Test me on this, okay? All right, see, that's why he wants to go to the movies, because you don't have to talk. You want to go to dinner and have conversation. See how that goes. And, And what happens is that when we don't move toward intimacy through conversation, we try to feign intimacy through sex. And so we create an illusion of intimacy without the reality of intimacy. So 
Tonight, just say, okay, no, let's talk. See how long it goes. See how long you can actually sustain a meaningful conversation with each other. Because life is about communion. It's about intimacy. It's about relationship. It's about love. And we just keep looking for the short track to love. And there is no shortcut to love. And if you're so afraid to be alone that you're not willing to take the time to find someone who will love you rather than somebody who will want you, you're going to spend your whole life wondering how you missed what your soul has longed for all along. And I want for you what Kim and I have. A life journey with your best friend. And even if you think I'm old school or out of touch or antiquated in my values, I'm going to fight for you to respect yourself and to live a life worthy of your calling in Christ to be truly and fully human. Pay your taxes. Okay. Last one. Last one. My daughter Lauren has been watching you every week from Santiago, Chile. Could you give her a hello? (laughs) So grateful her mom, Renata. By the way, uh, oh, so hello, Lauren. All the way in Santiago, Chile. Dios te bendiga. Cristo vive. All right. By the way, I got a, I got a cool um, tweet on Twitter <laughs> that said, oh, let's see if I can find it. Oh, yeah. Yesterday I was at the uh, Power Women thing for Habitat for Humanity at Sony Studios, just dropping in on the women here. It says, Erwin McManus, my mom introduced herself to you at the build. I'm living in Bogota, but love staying involved in Mosaic via live stream. Kari Farwell, isn't that awesome? And I can tell you that we looked at the numbers, and just for the series, over 1.6 million downloads of this uprising series across the world. Isn't that awesome? So... Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible and creates life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading this message around the world by going to mosaic.org give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.